0: 80 years out of 100 years, Christians in Russia experienced systematic persecution from the communist government. School teachers would um, hold up their Bibles, not their Bibles, but a Bible, and they would ask the students, hey, have you seen one of these in your homes? And if a student raised their hand, uh, the government authorities showed up at their houses to confiscate uh, those Bibles. Uh, pastors and lay people were imprisoned. Uh, they would disappear in the night and never heard from again. This was the world that Dmitri grew up in. This is the world that he experienced. He and his family lived in a little town four hours away from Moscow. So on the map, you can see, boom, there's Moscow. Well, he's, he's four hours away from it. And uh, the closest church was a three-day walk making it impossible for he and his family to attend church more than twice a year. Dimitri realized, hey, I've got to do something. I've got to step up as a man. And uh, so he got his Bible, got his family together, started having Bible studies in his home. And um, word got out in the neighborhood. Dimitri's doing a Bible study in his house. People started showing up. Twenty-five people showed up. Officials took notice, and they demanded him to stop, but Dimitri refused. When the group reached 50 people, Dimitri was dismissed from his factory job. His wife was fired from her teaching job, and his two sons were expelled from school, just kind of like a flare in the air. Hey, this is the price you'll pay when you disobey the authorities, Well, still, Dimitri continued. When the gathering increased to 75 people, there wasn't enough room in his house, which is understandable. Could you fit 75 people in your house? (laughs) Maybe if they all stood, right? Shoulder to shoulder. Uh, Anyway, they squeezed in, and uh, they wanted to hear the Bible, what was in the Bible, one night, a group of soldiers broke into the house during their gathering. Uh, a soldier grabbed Dmitri and kind of smacked him around in his face a few times, and he warned him to stop or something more serious would happen to him. As the officer was uh, about to leave the house, an elderly grandmother uh, pointed her finger in that soldier's face and said, you have laid hands on a man of God, and you will not survive. Well, guess what happened? Within two days, that officer was dead, suffering a heart attack. You think that would get your attention? It could. It could. In fact, the fear of God spread in that entire area, and pretty soon 150 people were showing up for this Bible study. After that happened, the officials came to Dimitri's home and arrested him, and they sentenced him to 17 years in prison. His jail cell was so small he could take one step and reach the other side, and um, he was only, it seemed, the only believer in a prison of 1,500 other hardened criminals. And um, Dimitri was tortured by guards prisoners mocked him but he never broke each morning at daybreak Dimitri made this commitment that as the sun would come up he would stand towards the east he would lift and raise his hands upward and he would begin to sing a worship song loud enough for that for that prison block to hear his voice the prisoners went ballistic. They would take their tin cups and they would rattle them across the, the bars of their cells and they would scream and yell at Dimitri to shut up. Dimitri didn't shut up, he kept it up day after day, year after year. Seventeen years went by and never did he renounce his faith. After being tortured, after being beat, after being mocked by the guards and the fellow prisoners, Dimitri was committed in his faith with Christ. Finally, the officials came up with this. They came in and they said, you know what, Dimitri, we killed your wife and your two sons, they're part of the state right now and you're never going to see them again. Now listen, Dimitri. We've got a document we're going to bring in tomorrow and all you have to do is sign it and you'll be freed from prison. Well, Dimitri took his breath away. One, his wife was killed. Two, his boys were taken from their mother and he was very, very close to renouncing his faith. That night, 621 miles away where his home was located, His wife, his children, family members, neighbors came in and they felt compelled to pray for Dimitri. It was at that time that they said, Lord, we pray for your strength and your grace to be poured into him. Something interesting happened. You could call it a miracle because Dimitri, being 621 miles away, was able to hear their voices. He recognized his wife's voice. He recognized his boy's voices. He recognized his brother's voice singing and praying. Something happened on the inside of Dimitri. When he was on the brink of renouncing his faith, he became more resolute, more committed than ever, to saying, I will never sign that document. In fact, when the the guards came in and they brought the document for him to sign, they saw in his eyes there was a different man they were looking at. Dimitri said, I'm not signing anything in the night. God, let me hear the voices of my wife and my children and my brother praying for me. You lied to me, and I know my wife is alive and physically well. I know that my sons are with her. I also know that they are all still in Christ, and I'm not signing anything. Well, that took the breath away from those guards, man. They thought they had this dude. Well, they beat him again and they threatened to execute him. Dmitri didn't flinch, man. He worshiped. He got up the next morning, raised his hands began singing all over again. He never quit. Finally the authorities said, "Man, we can't take this dude in our prison anymore. You know? We're going to kill him. We're going to execute him." So they came to his cell. They dragged him out down the corridor. And something interesting began to happen. One by one, those men in the cells nearby raised their hands as they were facing the gate of their prison cells. And they began to sing the same worship song that Dimitri had sung for 17 years. They memorized it. The guards, man, something came over the guards. It was like the fear of God hit them. They thought, holy smoke, what's going on here? These men had been so hardened and hateful towards Dimitri. They supported him. The guards beat Dimitri again, sent him back to his cell, and he continued every single morning raising his hands along with the men in that cell block, and they worshiped the Lord together. The officials got together and said, we need to get this guy out of here before something worse (laughs) happens in this place. And they released him, and he was sent back home again. Friends, in 1994, three three years after the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, Nick Ripken interviewed Dimitri. And he tells his story in the book, The Insanity of God. True story. This morning, as we look at Dimitri's life and his example for each one of us, we go back to the text that we started last week. That's why you came back, right? You wanted to hear the concluding parts of it. Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. So on the back of your program, there's an outline. And you can fill in the blanks, but before we do, let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 13, starting at verse 22. Those verses are in the the program. You can follow along. If you have your Bibles, let's hear those pages, man, page by page. Luke 13, Matthew, Mark, Luke 13. And you'll notice in your Bibles, the heading for that uh, section of Scripture is called the narrow door. And you'll also notice there's a bunch of red letters there, and that simply means Jesus is speaking. Red letter, that should get our attention. Jesus is talking, we need to sit up and listen to what he has to say. So here it is, verse 22, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? And he replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. Can I just tell you right off the bat, work hard is not talking about works, good works of earning your salvation. That's not what Jesus is talking about. When he's talking about work hard, it's very, very similar to what Dimitri had to live through. He had to work hard, wouldn't you say? In, in, in growing and being faithful in his relationship with Jesus Christ? Was that easy being in that cell for over 17 years? I don't think so. But he worked hard. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And we'll get more into that in a moment. So work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but will fail. And when the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. And then you will say, but we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for you will see... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. And the people will come from all over the world, from east and west, north and south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then, and some who are the greatest now will be least important then. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that what Jesus said is chronicled, written down in the Bible so that we can read it, get to know it, apply it to our lives. And Lord, this message this morning, we realize it's very, very serious. This is a very important message that you want communicated. And so this morning, Lord, we're asking for your help. We're asking you, Holy Spirit, to breathe on that word. May it ignite within our hearts and our souls this morning. For we desire not to be going through religion, religious calisthenics, doing our duty, Lord. We want to have that relationship with you, that intimacy, as you walk up and down the corridors of our lives. Thank you for being here today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we spent some time talking about the fact that there is a devil. We did that because, in order to get it, when you get into this teaching, you realize that Jesus is, in fact, talking about heaven and he's talking about hell. Jesus talked more about hell than anybody else in the New Testament. Now, that might surprise you, but I can tell you this for sure. Jesus talked more about hell than heaven for this one reason, and is simply he doesn't want you there. He's endeavoring as he teaches. When you look at the point number one, he's on the road again, and that he's teaching. Jesus is teaching truth. And last week we talked about the fact that 60% of followers of Jesus Christ do not believe that there is a devil. Now, I don't know how that can happen, friend, because when you read your Bible, it's in there. Plain and simple, it's in there. And so for Christians to sign off on the fact that there is no devil, I want to tell you something. This is a great disconnect. And I would even say it's creepy because when you have truth, And you have Jesus talking about hell. And he was tempted by the devil himself. And you could go on and on. Listen. While he is teaching this very simple message, there's a heaven, there's a hell. Jesus is saying, I am the savior of the world. I will die for your sins on the cross. Sin will keep you out of heaven. I will pay for your sin debt in full. You put your belief in me, you'll go through that narrow door and be with me forever. That's what he wants. See, That's why we're reading this this morning. And the cool thing is, when we go to Jerusalem, because that's where he's on the way, it says here, always pressing on toward Jerusalem, he's going to the cross. Yo, I don't get it. Jesus knew that he would be separated in his relationship with his father because he would carry the sin of the world, that his father would have to turn away from his son because God is holy. And he carried the sin of you and me on that cross. But he pressed on, and I'm so glad he did. He saw it to the end. Why? Why? Because there's a heaven and there's a hell, and he doesn't want you to go to hell. That's why he went to the cross, to pay for our sin debt in full. And so, this morning when we look at just a quick review here, that Jesus is on the road again, that Jesus is teaching and he's pressing on, there is resistance. Jesus experienced resistance when he was on his way to Jerusalem. When he was in Jerusalem, he experienced resistance, pushback, not to fulfill the plan that his father had for him, but he pressed on anyway. This morning, I just want to take a moment to once again remind you and me that there is a devil, and he's active, because even this past week, for example, a principal in Nebraska sent out a memo to, her te- to, the, to the teachers in the school and said, we're not going to allow candy canes part of the holiday decorations this year. The reason being is, when you look at a candy cane, what's that look like? Well, it was a threat to the principal. The threat to the principal was the candy cane resembles a J. Because it resembles a J, Jesus' name starts with a J. So, therefore, Jesus is a threat in my school. And I will not permit candy canes in my school. Second, Facebook last week censored the image of Santa Claus kneeling before the baby Jesus. Why? Warning that the image may show violent or graphic content. Can I tell you something, friend? Jesus is a threat. In our culture today. And Satan wants you to be threatened by Jesus as well. I had a conversation with a dude not long ago, and he came in and he said, You know what? I'm, I've, I've, my, my life has fallen apart. And I know I need to come back to the Lord. But he says, if I do, do I have to give up this, this, and this? (laughs) And I'm thinking, dude, you haven't hit the bottom yet. You're not desperate yet. You know? We come as we are to Jesus Christ, and he takes care of the rest. Also, last week at the Capitol in Illinois, Springfield, Illinois, that's our neighbor state, by the way, there was a satanic temple statue that was placed in the Capitol alongside the nativity scene in the memorial. Memorial. The statue is called The Knowledge is the Greatest Gift, and it depicts a forearm of a woman. There's a snake wrapped around her arm, and she's holding an apple let me ask you, is there a devil or isn't there? Why is it in the body of Christ today, people are signing off that there's a devil and that there's a hell when it's so obvious that there is a battle raging for the soul of this country and for the soul of you personally? This is not a game. And Jesus recognized that when he was having this conversation with these group of people, which leads us to number two, Jesus is asked the question. Someone asked him, "Lord, will only a few be saved?" And this is kind of a loaded question, because it was a group of Jews that had come to Jesus, and they figured, "Hey, hey, we're related to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He's our distant relative, and because we're blood brothers, so to speak, we'll get an automatic pass into heaven. That's what they were thinking. And so when he's saying a few, he was saying, will it just be us Jews that get into heaven? Tell you what, that dude was deceived. If he thinks he can get into heaven because he's related to Abraham. But unfortunately, there's many people, even in our country today, that think by going to church or because their grandma was a follower of Christ, they'll automatically get into heaven because my grandma was a believer. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And we see in number three, Jesus responds to that question. I'm so glad he does. We, we talked about this walking through the book of Habakkuk, that, that Habakkuk unloaded questions and whys on, on God, and God didn't blow him off, but God dealt with him in a very kind way. And just like this Jewish dude who thinks he's got his act together spiritually, his nose is up in the air, that he's one of the prime candidates of getting into heaven, Jesus responds to him. And he responds truthfully. And once again, friend, I can tell you straight up I am so glad that the Bible is truth. And I am so glad that Jesus speaks truth and he is not a liar. And in this text this morning, he is speaking truth to you and to me. And he is saying, this is serious because this guy thinks he's going to get into heaven by being a Jew, by being a good Jew. And that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So whatever deception you might have been taught in your world, listen to God's word this morning. And Jesus responds, verse 24 Work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom, for many will try to enter, but will fail. Jesus says, yes, in fact, there's a door, and he's saying, I'm the door. That door exists to divide, to separate. Through those who are not in God's family, they will not be able to enter in. Just like your house has a door. Your house have a door? <laughs> I was, just for fun, I, was, uh, I googled uh, a home security system last week, and the, the first question they asked was, how many entrance doors do you have to your home? They want to know, you know. Jesus is saying, I only have one door to heaven. There's not, there's not a front door and a back door. There's a lot of people going to try and sneak in the back door. It's not going to happen, he's saying. There's only one door, one door to heaven. And so he says, number one, the door is narrow. The door is narrow. Work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. Jesus, notice, he doesn't say how many people are going to be in heaven here, does he? But he encourages these people to what? Work hard to enter the narrow door. And listen, he's not saying salvation by good works. That's not what he's talking about here. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. When you believed. It doesn't say anything about good works. And you can't take credit for this because it's a gift from God. And salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. So that blows that thing out of the water, right? What Jesus is talking about is, is working hard I've used this before, but man, it's a dead dog that goes down the current of the river. It doesn't take any strength at all to go down with the current. It takes strength to get out of the canoe, get into that current, and go against the white water that's coming against you. It takes backbone, doesn't it? Don't tell me. Being a Christian, a follower of Christ, is simple and easy. It's not because we're on a battlefield. Dimitri experienced that kind of resistance as well every single day while he was in prison. Just kind of a reminder. It's a reminder that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it will cost you something. It takes backbone. It takes courage takes God's grace John 3 36 says anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life but remains under God's angry judgment can I just say angry judgment that might freak some people out oh God has a bad temper no no what this simply means is God is a God of justice just like if somebody were to break in your house, you would want justice done to that person that broke into your house, wouldn't you? You'd want justice. And so the law steps in, and they deal with that person that broke into your house uninvited. God is a God of justice. Not only is he a God of love, but he's a God of, God of justice, and one day you and I will stand before him and experience that justice for the decisions that you and I have made in our world. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, Jesus says, you will obey me. That echoes exactly what John 33, 36 says, that anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life. Man, if we love God, we're going to want to obey him, right? That's just part of it. Lisa Turquist, she's a uh, Christian writer, speaker. She's got an article titled The Slippery Slope. I'm talking about this narrow door. She says, some of the most dangerous lies we listen to are the ones we tell ourselves. <laughs> Ugh. Boy, if you've ever felt yourself being pulled into a forbidden but exciting situation, you may know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a script you can end up turning to when you sense red flags. But you want to convince yourself you can handle it. I'm just going to have a little fun, you say. This won't ever amount to anything. It just gives me a little something to look forward to. And you brush off the conviction of God's Spirit. You keep secrets from those people. You know who would call you out. You lie. You pretend You have no idea what a victorious appetite sin has. Sin may seem like no big deal at first, but apologist Ravi Zacharias puts it this way, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Yet sin unleashes consequences that will rob us of our peace, diminish our integrity, and cause us pain that's never worth it. And she goes on to tell a story about a friend She says, a nice guy at work started noticing, my friend, her marriage was going through some tough times, and she was tired of trying so hard to maintain that marriage. And so she found herself putting extra effort into getting dressed in the morning and being more willing to work late because this dude was paying attention to her. She felt a spark, man, you know, goose pimples, boom, Every time this dude came by. And soon they were talking secret. They were texting secret. They were meeting in secret. And down the slippery slope she went. The slippery slope has one major telltale sign. Things are done in secret. The minute we started hiding things from those who love us, doing things in a sneaky way, lying or telling half-truths, and figuring out ways to cover up evidence of our activities, we're on a slippery slope Satan is the master of darkness. As long as we can, he can keep us operating in the dark with our secrets, we're living a life of deception. The message in Acts 26, 17 and 18, she says, says this, I'm sending you off to open the eyes of the outsiders so they can see the difference between dark and light. And choose light. See the difference between Satan and God and choose God. I'm sending you up to present my offer of sins forgiven and a place in the family, inviting them into the company of those who begin real living by believing in me. That's what Jesus is saying. We need to see the difference between dark and light and choose light. We need to bring our choices out into the light of Jesus so he can expose the truth. Only then can we truly discern the difference between being led by Jesus or being deceived by Satan. Doing things in secret can be an indication we're being led by Satan. That's a strong statement, but one worth really considering. Satan keeps dangers off our radar screen, blinds us to the harsh realities coming our way. My friend was blinded, and when she finally woke up to the deception, the devastation horrified her. If you're keeping secrets today, bring them into the light. Let us truth speak louder than the feelings that are begging you to keep things hidden. Let the end of verse 18, Acts 26, begin real living by believing in me. The path of real living, the living that will sustain you and lead you to true discovery of real love, real provision and real satisfaction is found only by following Jesus Christ. How true that is. Augustine. A guy that was born all the way back in 354 A.D. How many of you know that's a long time ago? That was before I was born. Augustine was raised by a godly mother. And Augustine chose to go the way his friends were going and living. He wanted to impress his friends on how much he could sin. And finally, around at the age of 30, man, he hit the bottom and realized sin takes you farther than you want to go. And he put his faith in Jesus Christ. And he says this, we love the truth when it enlightens us and we hate the truth when it convicts us. Isn't that true? When it convicts, I'm going to do my own thing, right? Yeah, that's, that's how it goes. And so, Jesus reminds us Not only that there's a door to heaven, but that narrow door. There's a narrow door. And not everybody's going to go through it. Can I just remind us this morning that nobody gets to heaven accidentally? It's true. It doesn't happen by accident. You have to be intentional. Because that word narrow in the Greek, when Jesus is talking about a narrow door, it meant restrictive. Restrictive. In other words, you just don't go through the narrow door on your own. You go through it by the grace of God. And a person can't earn their way into heaven, right? We know that. And that narrow door, that narrow door represents Jesus Christ. He says in John 14, 6, he makes it pretty simple, friends. Jesus says in red letters, I am the way the truth, and the life. Nobody can get to my Father except through me. Now, let's take a vote this morning. Is that complicated? Huh? It's pretty basic, isn't it? Pretty clear that Jesus is saying there is no more than one door to get to my Father. It's a narrow door. It's only one door. Why is it then Last week, we said 60% of followers of Christ don't believe there's a devil. 80% of followers of Christ, there is no lifestyle difference between them and those who are not Christians. See, there's a huge disconnect. Check this disconnect out American Christians, 52% of them, think that at least some non Christian faiths can lead to eternal life, over half of Christians in America believe there's more than one way to get to heaven. Indeed, among Christians who believe many religions can lead to eternal life, 80% name at least one non-Christian faith that can do so. Among Christians who say that many religions can lead to eternal life, 65% of all Christians, the vast majority, 80%, cite an example of at least one non-Christian religion that can lead to salvation and 6 and 10 name two or more non-Christian religions that can earn your way to heaven. Can I ask you a question? How does that happen? How can that happen when the Bible is so clear? Hmm? It's because people are not reading their Bibles. They're listening to our culture. What our culture says about God and eternal life. If you read your Bible, you will know there's only one way it's a narrow way. And I would hope by attending Life Church for any length of time, you would understand one, that Jesus Christ is the only way you can get to heaven. The only way, one way, not more than one not multiple ways, that there's a heaven and there's a hell. And God has loved you so much, he gives you the freedom to choose which one you want to spend eternity in. That is a loving God. What is happening in our culture today? I can tell you very simply, followers of Christ put their Bibles on the shelf and they call it the end of the day and you are going to be swept away because you cannot live your life as a follower of Christ without reading God's word. And I would hope by coming to life church you will look in your bible and see if I'm what I'm saying is true. Put it to the test. Because there are churches in this country today that are lying to you. So read God's word because it is true. And put it to the test. Number two, many will try to enter. For many will try to enter but will fail. Jesus again reminds us that there's a door to heaven. It's a narrow door and it simply means not everybody is going to get through that door. Number four, Jesus says don't wait for too late. Oh boy, look at verse 25. When the master of the house, Jesus is the master of the house, has locked the door It will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. And then you will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. The point that Jesus is making here is that it's not hard to get through that narrow door. You put your faith in Christ. But his point is, that door will close one day, and then it's going to be too late. That narrow door is closing. I don't know if you've ever uh, been locked out of your house or had a door slam shut and you can't get in. Do you like that feeling? Huh? Uh, We kind of had that happen at our house early Saturday morning. And it wasn't somebody that lived at our house. Uh, Our door was locked. Aren't you glad to lock your door? And somebody wanted to get in my house. So they were pounding. After midnight. I want to come in. Should I let him in? You know the feeling when you're locked out and you can't get in. The frustration. Jesus is saying, the door is wide open. I have paid the price for your relationship in full. You just put your belief and trust in me and you're you're allowed to come through that narrow door. Everybody, anybody, anybody, Can come through that narrow door. It's one door, it's wide open, but the door's gonna close one day, and then it's gonna be too late. There was a documentary on the History Channel several years ago on the anniversary of 9 11, and it told stories of rescuers, of survivors. Uh, when the Twin Towers World Trade Center went down. And one story in particular was about a British young woman who uh, worked in a brokerage firm near the, near the top of Tower 2. And she, she told uh, of the chaos and, and confusion in her office on whether they should leave or stay from the building. And she's alive today because she made the right decision. But many of her coworkers didn't make it. They never made it out. And as she's telling her story, she comes to her close friend and she breaks down then. And she says, all I keep thinking is I should have asked her to go with me. I can't get that out of my mind. We can shift the scene from the documentary to heaven. And when you get to heaven and you look Jesus in the eye and you could say, did my... And fill in the blank. Are they here in heaven? And Jesus will look back at you and say, did you ask them? Did you tell them about me? Just like this woman in the Twin Towers, man. Did you ask your friend to go with you? To get out of the building before it collapsed? You see, when you put your faith in Christ, we're, we're outside of the building that's collapsing right now. Your friends, your family... Your neighbors, your teammates are still in the building. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to have a regret one day that you didn't talk to them about Jesus Christ? God gives us that incredible responsibility that we get to represent him, right, in this world. Think about Hebrews 9.27, you know, where... Kind of echoes the master of the house locked the door and it will be too late and you'll be outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. The door's wide open right now, but in Hebrews 9:27, and just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. You know, there's an appointment for each one of us that one day we will die and one day we will stand before God what's that decision going to be? I, I have in my Bible this cool looking card, and it says, just a friendly reminder. What do you think this is from? There's toothbrushes on the front, little hint, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, a friendly reminder from your dentist? The dude causes me all kinds of pain. What's he sending out a friendly reminder for? You know? He's reminding me that I have an appointment to keep my teeth in my mouth. That there's a war raging with my gums, and my gums want plaque. They love plaque. And plaque will push my teeth out of my mouth. But I want my teeth, man. And so I'm willing to go to the dentist and pay the price of pain. Well, that dentist just beats me up, man. Jesus is saying in Luke 13, I'm sending a friendly reminder the door is wide open. It's wide open. But that door's going to close one day. And then it's going to be too late. And he's saying, don't wait till it's too late. Because 2 Corinthians 6:2 says today is the day of salvation. Number five, Jesus says there's also consequences. Verse 28, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. I like how the message puts it, that's when you'll find yourselves out in the cold, strangers to grace, You'll watch Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets march into God's kingdom. Jesus is kind of saying, listen, these guys are going to be able to see basically through a window that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the prophets are in the kingdom of God. They're on the outside looking in. They're not going to be on the inside. It's too late. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Revelation 14 says, and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever and they will have no relief day or night for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. The word weeping here in the text means and indicates sorrow and grief. It's an emotional agony of being lost in hell. The gnashing of teeth speaks of pain, physical agony in hell. The Greek, it means the gnashing of teeth means used to denote extreme anguish and utter despair of those consigned to eternal punishment in hell. And you kind of get an understanding why Jesus talked about hell because he doesn't want you to go there. The New Testament paints this picture of what hell's going to be like it's dark there's fire there are eternal consequences there's torment it's continual and eternal it's a place of everlasting destruction you you, kind of see man Jesus loves so much He doesn't want you there. In John 3, 16 through 18, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, going back to that mission statement of Jesus, so that everybody who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. That's awesome. But anyone who does not believe in him Has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. That's the message God so loved that He gave. God wants you to be in heaven with Him forever. And number six, Jesus will reward for the narrow door. Jesus rewards those who put their faith in Christ. Verse 29, And people will come from all over the world, from east and west, north and south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this, Some who seem least important now will be the greatest then, and some who are the greatest now will be least important then. So, this group of Jewish guys... Kind of heady, you know, religious, thinking, hey, we're in, no problem. Jesus kind of says, no, no, it's not going to be that way. There's only one way to get into heaven. Not who you're related to, but who you put your trust in. Jesus says from all over the world. In other words, the Jews had this mentality that they were the chosen people. They alone would be the ones to get into God's kingdom. Jesus said, no, no, no. You need to do it the narrow door. You can't make up a door. You can't find another door. There's only one door. And he's saying Gentiles from all over the world will be coming into the kingdom of God because they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we go back to that question, Lord, how many will be saved Well, in Revelation 7, 9, it puts it this way. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great war, Salvation comes from our God, who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Aren't you glad for that? A vast crowd, too great to count. Man, if you you could just pull back and look at our planet today and realize in Asia, the amount of people that are putting their faith in Jesus Christ. In South America, so many putting their faith in Jesus Christ. They're hungry. And today, God has you planted in your world in your community, in your job, because you have the opportunity to let the light of Christ shine through you. What a great opportunity. What a cool responsibility God has given to us. And this morning, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, man, if you have never gone through that narrow door, it's not too late. The door is still open this morning. And I would encourage you to say, Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. One sin would be enough for me to stay out of heaven, but you died for all my sin on the cross. And Lord, I believe you took my place. You were my substitute, and you paid my sin in full. And when I confess my sin to you, Lord, you promise to forgive me. And so when your father looks at me, he doesn't see me. He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus, as if I never sinned. Man, I accept that gift, Lord. I put my faith in you. You are my Savior. God wants that so much, but he's left a decision up to you. Father, we thank you this morning. even now even now in this room there's pushback on the truth I don't believe there's a devil I don't believe there's a hell and I pray Lord that you would make that real to every person in this room Yes, one day we will stand before a holy God and give an account of our lives. The narrow door is open, but it's closing. And once it's closed, it can't be opened again. So Lord, we realize the seriousness of this talk today. This is not a game. You can't gamble. Eternal life. It's either eternity in heaven or eternity in hell, one or the other. No middle ground here. I pray, Lord, for that person that has rejected you over and over again today, they'll say, Lord, I receive your gift of grace, your gift of forgiveness. In Jesus' name. Help us, Lord. As followers of Christ, to obey your word as we follow after you. We pray your blessing on each person.